Well, 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 welcome back, folks. It has been quite the unexpected break here for the Insatiable Content Pod, just as I thought we were building up a little momentum and really had the game moving in our favor. Yes, the theme of the podcast is, today is football, so you're going to get a fair share of sports puns here. Um, but what happens is a mammoth Category 4 hurricane decides to bear down on New Orleans and throws everything out of order. However, just like New Orleans, this pod is all about resiliency, and so we are back and hopefully at least more average than ever. I will just say that if you have any money to give, I encourage you to give it to any of the organizations helping to support the city and all of Southeast Louisiana recover from the storm. There's been a ton of damage. A lot of people have had their lives upended and any support you can give um, can help. Because just because the storm is gone, it doesn't mean its impact is. And being back here, it's the city is still really far away from being back to normal. But thankfully, uh, after a two-week sojourn to my parents' house in Florida, I am back as well, and it's time to get this pod up and running. So evacuating is always incredibly stressful, especially for a period as long as I was gone for this one. But being with my kids enabled me to see the positives, one of which was the ability to watch ungodly amounts of football, both college and pro. Which is why we're turning to the sport as the focus of this episode. For my kids, aside from getting to watch football with me and their grandparents and getting indoctrinated really early into my sports fandom. Um, What was the highlight of their entire two weeks in Florida? Was it all the football they got to watch? Was it swimming? Was it getting unlimited desserts while we were watching the games? No, it was when we went to play mini golf and they saw my dad adjusting himself through his gym shorts when he thought no one was watching. Now look, guys, we've all been there, especially in the humidity. Sometimes you got to make sure everything is alignment down there and nothing is sticking in a place it shouldn't be stuck. But watching my kids break into hysterics as my father ever so gingerly inched up his shorts, revealing his beautiful pasty white thighs. Well, that's just something I don't think any of us will ever forget. But I got I got sidetracked there. Though I promised last episode to focus on the Up documentary series in this show, I changed plans since the storm screwed up my scheduling. So for this episode, thanks to... All the football I've been watching and the urging of my friend Alex, we are going to be focusing all on football and the glory that is devoting an entire weekend day or days during the time of year when the weather is the best to sitting inside and watching grown men slam into each other over and over and over again. But what makes this podcast somewhat timely is that I'm getting it out after my beloved Washington football team absolutely manhandled the New York Giants on Thursday night. Okay, so they won by one point on a last-second kick that was really pure luck more than anything else. But they won, and I'll take it. And yes, I am a Washington football team fan. Does that embarrass me? Sure, but not as much as it used to, now that we don't have the most racist name in sports. Though we still have the worst owner. And not to cast stones here, but can I just ask how in the hell Cleveland and Washington have both changed their team names because they were obviously racist, but somehow Florida State still gets away with their abhorrent chant? I mean, there are a few things I can think of that are more racist in sports fandom than that. Sure, if I lived in a place like Tallahassee, where the most notable architectural feature is the number of vacant strip malls, I might cling to my awful traditions too. But come on, people, it is 2021. We can do better, and we should. Now, before I get into the things I like and don't like about this football season, I just wanted to thank everyone who has listened to the pod and who has asked when the next episode would be coming out. I know there was a long delay here. I really appreciate the support. Tell your friends, subscribe, and I appreciate all the feedback. Look, I know I talk fast. I'm working on it. I know I curse too much. It's just how I am. 
But we're going to try to clean up both of those things going forward, though it won't be perfect. But I do have to say to all the lady listeners out there, and look, I appreciate you, but those of you who have been demanding that I do a live stream of the podcast shirtless, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but it's just not going to happen. I mean, at least not yet. I mean, seriously, this is a pod about ideas, and I don't want people getting the impression that I'm just some eye candy over here spouting unfounded, unconsidered takes. But now, let's move on to the show and the reasons why I like and don't like this college and pro football season in particular. All right, first thing I liked, Peyton and Eli on Monday night. If you missed it, Monday this past Monday night, Peyton and Eli premiered as commentators on the alternative version of ESPN's Monday Night Football broadcast. And if you watch them and then flip back to the normal broadcast, I just don't see how you can ever want to go back to the typical two-man booth ever again. Eli and Peyton were not only better at commenting on the actual football than most commentators, they were also hilarious and gave each other a ton of shit. At one point, Eli mocked the size of Peyton's helmet when he was playing in Denver, and it really made me realize that Eli, despite being the definition of a mediocre pro football player and having one of the worst game faces of all time, is actually an all-pro when it comes to comedy. The two of them had great timing, and you could see the brotherly dynamic, where Peyton, as the elder const- elder brother, constantly dominated the conversation and talked over Eli, but Eli would get in these subtle jabs throughout. Plus, it was just so much fun to see Peyton's absolute disgust with the way Derek Carr was playing quarterback in the first half for the Raiders. That type of brutal honesty is something we want as sports fans. In this area where every jackass with a microphone can have a podcast and spout his ideas, we want authenticity more than anything. And too often in football broadcasts, we get sanitized versions of the truth being played out in front of our eyes. Just look at the way Chris Collinsworth constantly tried to tell us all how good Andy Dalton was during the Sunday night football game when we could see Dalton is completely washed, and Justin Fields should be on the field playing for the Bears. So yes, even if you detest football, tune into Monday nights on ESPN2 to see Peyton and Eli because it's the best thing that's happened to football commentary since Tony Romo, and you will get a lot of mentions of chicken parm as well. Now, second thing I liked, and this may be my favorite thing of the entire week, Nick Saban likes these nuts jokes. Now, so in case you missed it this week, it was revealed by former Alabama players Marlon Humphrey and Josh Jacobs that Nick Saban, the best and seemingly most serious college football coach of all time, is a fan of these nuts jokes. My mind almost exploded when I heard this. Throughout high school, my closest friend, shout out to you Schwartz, was someone who devoted his days to getting anyone he interacted with, including his father and our teachers, on the most elaborate, brilliantly constructed these nuts jokes of all time. In college, he once spent over two hours in a conversation with a roommate of ours just to get him to finally say the word expose, at which point the joyous proclamation of expose these nuts in your mouth could be heard echoing throughout the streets of Charlottesville. Now, I'm not sure our roommate ever recovered from the embarrassment of that moment. He's still pretty much a shell of a man. So to then hear that Nick Saban, the man with the best football program in the country, who has a Belichickian commitment to intensity and preparation and having the right winning mindset also enjoys these jokes, nothing could make me happier. So when you're watching Alabama trounce its opponents this year, every time you get that close up of his taut, intense face, just know that later that night, he's gonna be asking his players if they met his friend Bofa. And when they say Bofa, well, you know the rest. To me, that is top-notch television. Third thing I like, You're part of the conversation. What's better than actually watching the games? Talking about them before and afterwards. Just as I now find the soap opera that is the NBA off-court saga, I mean, let's just say, what's the over-under on how many burner accounts Kevin Durant has at this point? As interesting 
as the games themselves, with sports in general and football in particular, being able to talk to other people about the greatest athletic feats on earth is pure pleasure. I'd estimate I'd listen to close to 40 sports podcasts a week from Bumani Jones, which is definitely my favorite, to Ryan Rossello, to Bill Simmons, to pardon my take. And the main reason I do that is not just because I like or always agree with what they're saying, it's that talking about sports is as fun as watching them. There's so much gossip in sports these days. Like Nick Saban being a fan of fucking D's Nuts jokes. So if you're not partaking in this, you're mi missing something immensely enjoyable. With the access and media culture around sports at this point, we have more access and a closer access to athletes than ever before, and that means we even have more connection as fans to them. And all of this gives us the chance to talk to our friends in greater depth than ever before about the sports we love. And to me, there are few things in life as fun as bonding with friends over sports. Because the debates are endless and there's tr truly no way anyone can ever convincingly win an argument. So they just go on and on and on. We will be talking about whether LeBron or MJ is the GOAT, definitely MJ, whether Tom Brady's hair is real or fake, something ain't natural there. He's basically become Dorian Gray at this point. And whether Nick Foles really has BDE, if you don't know what that is, Google it. Do it for yourself, ladies, for decades to come. With sports, you always have something to talk about and argue about. It's the greatest common denominator for humanity in the world. And if you don't believe me, just watch Ted Lasso, which yes, I am also going to do a pot on as soon as the current season ends. Fourth thing I liked, football becomes fiction. The final thing I unabashedly like about the season is how many fairy tale or novelistic-like storylines there are to follow. I already mentioned Tom Brady defying father time, but what about my favorite NFL player, Aaron Rodgers, and his ongoing drama with my family's beloved Green Bay Packers? I mean, I don't care what you think about him, the dude is the most honest player in sports, not to mention a shockingly good Jeopardy host. And like so many of us, Rodgers just wants a little love and appreciation in his life from those he's given his life to. Is that so much to ask, really? So when you see how the Packers completely flamed out week one, knowing all that happened between their playoffs loss and the start of the season, it's impossible to not speculate about what's happening in that locker room. I mean, this happens in every sport, and I highly recommend checking out the two new documentaries on Netflix about the Pistons, Pacers, infamous Malice in the Palace brawl, and, the, and another one on the Danbury Thrashers amateur hockey teams to truly understand the scope and larger shape of what sports can mean outside of the games themselves. Both are amazing works as sports documentaries. In the Pistons Pacers one, we, you really get to examine how racism completely shaped how we view the culpability of that infamous brawl. While in the Danbury Thrashers one, it is an amazing, you can't believe this is real, soprano-like story where a mobster's son takes over a team and encourages every player on the team to beat the living shit out of the opposing players. It's just immensely entertaining to watch. But then, with football, you have other great storylines in college football where the SEC is now absorbing every good team in the entire country or players are able to profit off their own likenesses for the first time. The point is, regardless of what type of storytelling appeals to you, whether it's watching the overrated fall, just check out Mike McCarthy and you can see whether he's really as bad as a coach as he plays on TV and whether the Cowboys will wait until the end of the season to have their inevitable collapse or do so earlier this year. Or you can instead opt for the underdog succeeding. Like seriously, am I the only one who still believes Jameis might be good? Or even craving some messianic fervor. Yes, Russell Wilson, we know you're blessed. Football has you covered. And while I often end up self-hating while watching games because yes, it's barbaric and these guys are destroying their brains and body for my pleasure, 
I have to admit, it's still the most thrilling sport to watch when things are going well. All right, the fifth thing for this week, and this is something I think I like, but I'm not really sure, and it's probably not good for me. Addicted to disappointment. So as I mentioned, I'm a lifelong Washington football team fan, and in being so, I've endured nearly 30 years of disappointment, shame, and public ridicule. My ex-wife may have even accused me of ruining her fondness for football with how despondent I got after, after Washington football team losses. I'm sorry that I care, but you know what? I'm not alone in that. Mets and Jets fans know what I'm talking about. So do Bears, Browns, and Bengals fans. And God, can you even imagine being a Detroit Lions fan after these past few decades? What we all have in common is despite the fact that sports is supposed to be our release, something we go to to add pleasure to our lives, instead our teams just inflict pain on us over and over and over again. And yet we can't quit them. And why is that? Well, here's my theory. On some level, we sort of like it. Back in journalism school, I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post. Yep, blatant self-promotion here, about how we Washington football team fans crave the constant stream of putrid bile we experience while watching the games. After all, what rational person sits week after week watching a team break their heart in which we fans often seem to care more than the players who are actually on the field? The only explanation I could come up with was that we crave the letdown. As a person who has been compared to Larry David more times than I can count, rooting for a team that never succeeds is perfect. It fits snugly into my pessimistic worldview that generally I, and humanity as a whole, just can't have nice things. Like, can you imagine being a Patriots fan and just experiencing success after success after success? Yeah, me either. I know some Patriots fans and they're pretty much insufferable. They take winning for granted. For the rest of us plebes out here though, rooting for teams we know will never live up to our expectations, we come to find there's a joy in the pain. And that this point, it's comforting because it's all we know. And so every year, just as I did this year, during the preseason, we'll wind ourselves up by looking at the latest roster moves and free agency signings and convince ourselves that yes, finally, this is the year good things will happen and we'll get rid of all that terrible stuff from the past. Only to then watch our team lay an absolute egg against the Chargers and nearly lose to Daniel fucking Jones and the hapless Giants while our vaunted defense can't get off the field. But I digress. And you know what? Even as we watch that and we're tormented by it, we'll find solace in it. And at some point, I'm not even sure we would know what to do if our teams were actually good. As a UVA grad, the basketball team being the first one seed to lose to a 16 seed ever was much more understandable to me and relatable than the following year when the team won the championship. I didn't actually quite know what to do with myself when they won. It didn't feel real. But the years of disappointment meant that when that victory did come, it did feel pretty damn sweet. And so even if now UVA never won another game going forward, I'd still have that championship. And so I think there's a part of us that keeps watching just for that slimmest of hopes, even though we know how irrational it is. All right, here's the we're trying to have a civilization here tangent for the week. Okay, okay, the side note for this week is what is going on with medical training staff and team doctors for pro sports teams? I mean, I know these people are in positions that are the definitions of conflicts of interest, and I know they're all often all trying their best, but come on. I mean, I watch players like Trent Williams refuse to play for the Washington football team in part because the medical staff so screwed up identifying a can cancer diagnosis he had. Or just think of last year, Tyron Taylor missed his start as the Chargers QB and lost the job because a team doctor punctured him with a needle accidentally. Or just think of Ka Kawhi not trusting any team doctors enough on the Spurs or Clippers to even really let them know what was going on with his treatment. 
Look, I get in that player empowerment era, there's a feeling that athletes have too much power, but screw that, they deserve it. And when it comes to their health, supposed medical professionals have pushed and pushed and pushed athletes for years to sacrifice their bodies for the good of the team with no consequences, even when that has led to debilitating injuries and harm long-term for them. Athletes deserve better. And just on a side note, why is it just so hard to find a good doctor in general? Like the first doctor I saw in New Orleans when I moved here 10 years ago was a general practitioner who I went to help get treatment with the insomnia I was experiencing at the time. And you know what he said? He asked me if I had read the Bible before I went to bed every night. When I said no and asked how that was at all relevant, he told me my sleep problems were connected to my lack of faith in my belief in evolution. Like that dude is actually out here prescribing medicine to people. We think that's okay. And the thing is, the opposite is so blissful. When you find a good doctor, it is game changing. I threw out my groin again this week while running. That's right, ladies, I'm talking about my groin, my loins. And I just have to shout out Ryan at Stride Shop in New Orleans, the only runner's focused PT clinic in the city who had me up and running smoothly again the next morning. He didn't ask me about evolution. He just gave me a little horse to warmer and I was fine. No, seriously, he didn't give me any horse to warmer. Uh, everyone knows that isn't effective on groins. Um, all right, final three things of the week, the convince me section. Now that we've gotten through my take on football, I'm gonna do a segment called Convince Me. Today's claim, water polo is low key, the most badass sports out there. Now look, I know the Olympics are only a distant memory at this point, but every time I've watched the Summer Olympics, I can't get over how insane water polo is. I can barely swim or tread water for a minute and these men and women are out there literally playing football in a pool. I've run a 50 mile ultra marathon and I have friends who've done 200 milers or more, but the idea of being able to stay afloat and basically sprint the length of a pool over and over and over again while having your body ripped at by the opposing team is more impressive than just about any sports feat out there, at least to me. And no one talks about it. Why is that? Are we biased by the fact that we've all played basketball or tossed a football in a pool before? Because this is very different. Whatever the reason, these are the most underrated athletes out there, and I don't think I could last a minute in that sport, let alone a full match. All right, the trust the process segment for this week. This is where I give recommendations about one thing, quick hit about one thing I really like this week. If you've listened to the Ringers Rewatchables podcast like I do, a separate pod on that is gonna be coming entirely in the future, by the way, here. You may have heard this week's episode on Warrior. It's a 2011 movie about MMA fighting. And while I've never been a fan of the sport, I love the movie, loved it. Not only do you get Tom Hardy doing his entire new accent for every role thing, I mean, from Batman to Mad Max to Peaky Blinders, does anyone know what his voice actually sounds like? you also get one of the best Nick Nolte performances I've ever seen. The action is intense and unwavering, and it actually helped to change my mind that the sport isn't just pure brutality. Highly recommend. Little cheesy, but all good sports movies are. All right, the sink into the couch segment. This is where we talk about, you know, you're on the couch, you might've imbibed some substances and you're sitting there and not sure how you're gonna finish out the evening as you're feeling a little trippy. Well, for this week, I'd recommend The Killer's new album, Pressure Machine. I love The Killers, it's a guilty pleasure of mine, and this new album is very different from the stuff they've done in the past. It's got all sorts of Bruce Springsteen, Circa Nebraska vibes, and it's a, just a big change of pace with them now adopting an Americana, folky sound, and it's really worth listening to. Highly recommend. Finally, the Poop the Bed segment. What really got under my skin this week? Well. During the evacuation, my parents and I tried to watch The Only Murders in the Building, the new show on Hulu with Steve Martin, Selena Gomez, and Martin Short. 
I say try because while I'd heard good things, none of us liked it, and we have very different and wide-ranging tastes. And I should also say my parents are huge Steve Martin and, Short, and uh, Martin Short fans, but we all thought the show was not even so much a show as just one big meta joke or failed pastiche about true crime podcast, all the way down to the serial-like theme music. Also, on a side note, I discovered my parents had never heard of serial while we were watching this. How is that possible? I mean, people, we really need to do some cultural outreach for the retirees in our lives. I take that responsibility on myself after this. In a lot of ways, the show seemed like an excuse for the actors to bring on all their famous friends like Tina Fey and Sting and try to tie them ever so loosely into a plot that ultimately didn't hold together and I just didn't really care about. So yeah, avoid this. While Martin Short's character does have one redeeming quality in that he shares my love of all things dips, it felt the show overall felt cynical and lazy and that's my least favorite type of cultural production. All right, that is all for the Insatiable podcast for this week. Get out there and enjoy some amazing culture this week. Dig into all the football you can handle. And let's on one thing we can all agree upon, that we will all rejoice Sunday afternoon when the Cowboys lose to the Chargers. America's team, my ass. Hopefully from here on out, we're returning to our regular schedule. So be ready for another episode of the Insatiable podcast soon. And thanks for listening.